0: to winchester here with autumn privet and this is reading Women, a podcast where we're reclaiming half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women and today we have for you an interview with megan o'connell the author of and now we have everything on motherhood before i was ready which is out now from little brown
1: you were not kidding when you said this was an amazing book
0: yeah yeah, I was like, Autumn, you need to read this now. Here, let me show this copy into your hands. <laughs> and she did, <laughs> like all good stories.
1: Yeah, so I was telling Kendra a minute ago before we started recording that I've read a lot of mom blogs and seen a lot of like really highly stylized birth photos on Instagram and such. And I really appreciated this story because it kind of balances those overly romanticized portrayals of birth that we often see.
0: Definitely. You know, I have never had kids, but when my nephew was going to be born about, what was it, like eight and a half years ago, I, as the little researcher nerd that I was, checked out all of the books and documentaries, like full-view documentaries about birth. And um, I watched them and read things, and I was like, this is horrible. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like there's a disservice to women who go through this intense Uh, experience and it's not portrayed accurately because all these different complications that can happen during birth that women are just too embarrassed to talk about or just don't want to share because it's too private and i I love that megan o'connell does share these things that she does share her expectations and then her realities of what her birth and early motherhood experience is like
1: so let's hear from megan o'connell about her book and now we have everything
0: So today we have with us Megan O'Connell, the author of And Now We Have Everything on Motherhood Before I Was Ready, and it's out now from Little Brown. Welcome, Megan, to the podcast. We're very excited to have you. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Kendra thrust this book into my
1: hand the last time I saw her and said, (laughs) you need to read this now. And I said, Uh "Oh."
0: (laughs) and I, I read it in like one or two
1: sittings, something like that. We loved it.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah, and uh, Autumn and I are both married women in early 20s, but we don't have children. And so as millennial women, we, we feel like the discussion of childbirth just isn't exactly as we would like it. It's very romanticized. And so when I read this, I was like, Autumn, this is the book that we need, you know, to share with <laughs> all of our friends. And so now <laughs> I have like a running list of people I want to give this to. Like, here, read this book. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it's the stuff that maybe your friends that have had kids
0: won't tell you about. Like, in-
1: <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs>
0: so for our listeners who haven't read And Now We Have Everything, how would you describe it for them?
2: Um, well, it's a book of interconnected essays about becoming a mother, um, kind of the upheaval of I got pregnant accidentally when I was 28, and then it goes through pregnancy and childbirth and the first year of having a baby and the kind of the identity crisis and getting used to my new life.
1: Well, as Kinder said like I really appreciated too the your take on it because I have had friends who've had kids already and you know, I've talked to them about how it was and I don't after reading your book, I don't really feel like anyone was
2: honest with me. Well, maybe it was good for them. I don't, you know, so specific individual but right I just can't imagine I mean I I can imagine the circumstances being easier or just you know having better luck or your personality is different and but I can't really imagine everything not freaking out on some level I don't know
1: (laughs) and then you worked as a freelance writer you mentioned this in the book but you were a freelance writer before you started this book well, how how is working on a longer project different from, like, your process doing freelance work?
2: Yeah, I was surprised. I was really scared going into it. Like, I started out writing a blog, like, on Tumblr back in the day. And it was such a, you know, I barely edited myself and just put it out there. And then you just get that hit of dopamine when people, like, like your post. Yeah. <laughs> and then freelance writing is kind of, like, slightly more, you know, edited. And you take a week to write something and work with an editor and everything. It's still also, you know, there's like a feedback situation going on. And and also just the idea of writing something that long. I'd never done anything like that. And so I was afraid. I, I didn't know how I was going to kind of, it was just overwhelming. But in the end, once I got started, it was hard to start just knowing you have a year. I, I sold the book on a proposal, so I knew I had a year to write it. And it's just like, where's my motivation? Like, I, don't, I couldn't even fathom it, you know. Once I really got into it, maybe like halfway written I just started I f- kind of fell in love with the process I was surprised how oddly safe it felt that it was kind of like this private google document or um mm. I think I wrote it on Scrivener but yeah just this private thing that no one had to see until I was ready for them to see it you know or until I right passed my deadline <laughs> But just knowing that I could kind of go in and play with it, and I don't know. It was, I mean, I'm romanticizing it now because I'm (laughs) doing publicity instead of writing. But I really, uh, I think I want to do it again, for sure. And I wasn't sure about that. I wasn't, I was really afraid I was going to have kind of a mental breakdown or something.
0: But it ended up being fine. I, I liked it. And I loved how you talked about one of your goals in the book. Like as your char- you as almost like a character in the book, your one of your goals was to write a book, and then yeah. you know that you're reading your book. Um, so, ha- so <laughs> yeah. how did you decide that you wanted to write about your experience with pregnancy and motherhood and um, your birth experience?
2: Yeah, I really didn't think I was going to write about it going in. I mean, I guess I should have foreseen that because I wrote right had had written about my life a lot before then. But um, I wrote my birth story first. And I was just a couple months postpartum and kind of sneaking away from my family to write in a coffee shop and should have been like doing web editing for money. But yeah, I was, it just like came out of me and unlike the baby, (laughs) I wrote about this a little bit in the book, but it was just, it was hard to talk to my friends or anybody about what birth was like for me and um, where my mind was. And I just couldn't make sense of anything. It was all. So much at once, and I always kind of figure things out by writing about them. So, of course, I mean, I shouldn't have been surprised, but I was like, wow, okay, <laughs> this is what I really needed was to make sense of this through writing about it. And that's kind of where I started to feel like myself again. And then I didn't want to like sell my birth story to a website, you know, but so mm. I didn't know how I was going to share it with my friends and my internet friends, and I kind of had this running joke about. Mommy bloggers publishing their birth stories, and we were always like, "All right, where's the birth story? We really want to read it." (laughs) I just like had this weird obsession with reading birth stories, (laughs) and um, some of my friends were like, "Where's your birth story?" So I sent it out in a tiny letter, which kind of felt safe too, in a way, just because if you read it, you had to, you know, subscribe, and there wasn't like a comment section and all that stuff. So I sent it out as a tiny letter, and the the response from that was so satisfying and nice just I felt like you know I was connecting with people about this thing that I felt so alienated by and I felt like I had made sense of it and my friend the writer Emily Gould emailed me and said congrats it's a book and I was like (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even think of that but you know I really did want to keep writing and it was I tried not to think about it too much, like, oh, am I going to be a mommy writer now, or is this what I'm, what my career is? You know, mm-hmm. I just like, well, I've always wanted to write a book, and I have the urge to write about this, and people that are willing to, you know, pay me to do it, so I'm not going to think too much, too hard about it. I'm not going to second-guess myself. I published my birth story on Longreads, and then agents emailed me from that, so
0: it just started happening. <laughs> That's really cool. And I, I love how it worked out because you were worried in some in the book, you discuss how you were worried about how having a child would affect your career, but yep. really writing your birth story really helps your career. Yeah. Sort in, of. In that. <laughs> <laughs> but,
2: but yeah. I mean, and now it's funny because I'm about to have another baby and I'm like, what's going to happen in my writing career? And so there's <laughs> lots hopes that, because I was, you know, I was afraid that having a baby, I mean, everyone reacts differently, like emotionally and, you know, hormonally and everything. But I was just kind of afraid that I would never have the urge to write again. You know, it would just change my brain in some way or my priorities or also just logistically and, you know, making time, being able to make time for it. I don't know. I'd never I'd never wanted to write so badly in my life until hmm. I had a baby. Before, it was always kind of like procrastination and like avoiding it and not knowing what I had to say. And all of a sudden I had all these things I had to say. I think it was the fact that I couldn't do it, you know, made me want to do it more. So I'm I'm
0: hoping that comes back. <laughs> so you, you talked about feeling alienated uh, before writing your birth story and how you wanted to talk about that. And I feel like that definitely touches on... How our culture has a lot of romantic expectations about motherhood, uh, just having like the ideal birth experience or how wonderful breastfeeding should be and uh, a bunch of different things. And so actually I called my mom after I read your book and I was a C-section, so was my brother and breastfeeding never really worked for my mom either. And I was like, mom, this is an amazing (laughs) book. Like you would love this. And she shared some stories with me that I hadn't heard before about how after her C-section, her you know, women in her circles, you might say, told her that she wasn't as much of a mom, or that she didn't have a real birth because of a C-section. Going from that, how did your own experience compare to the expectations that we face in our culture around motherhood and pregnancy and and birth?
2: Yeah, they weren't what I expected. <laughs> <laughs> I, I heard somebody say recently that you kind of you get the birth that you need, which at first mm-hmm. I kind of bristled at that. You know, I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, but it really did. I think. It changed something in me when I was like, OK, I have to just do what I need to do in the moment when I had to make the decision to get a C-section. And, um, you know, you become so attached to this ideal. I don't even know why I can't even recognize that person anymore, I guess is what I'm trying to say. But um, the romance, I was so into that idealized thing just because I mean, you don't know what what it's going to be like. So it's, you know, it's helpful, I guess, to have this like vision, but it had nothing to do with my experience and um, meeting my experience on its own terms instead of, you know, whatever I was daydreaming about. That was kind of a good just life lesson in general. (laughs) Yeah, I realized that like the romance had become its own kind of achievement, you know, or Mm -hmm. just like became aspirational instead of just like experiencing my the particulars of my life it was it was just this this whole other thing is like happiness as an achievement you know or like natural childbirth or just being blissfully breastfeeding all the time and not resisting it at all and instead of being like okay i know myself and these are my values and this is what i really care about i've had that reckoning now so it's nice going in the second time kind of knowing realistically like okay might look dreamy on Instagram, but in reality, I'm not going to have slept and my boobs are going to be hurting and I'm going to feel trapped and, you know, still recovering from childbirth. And so, of course, you know, it's just easier to forgive yourself instead of thinking how it should be or how it is for other people. And, you know, you never know.
1: I think that's true about Instagram. Like, I mean, I grew up in a small southern community where babies just magically appeared out of nowhere. You know, I've seen a lot of birth stories on Instagram and on mom blogs and all that kind of thing, Mm. which, I mean, isn't helpful in a way, right? Because there's more transparency into it. But yeah, it's good to hear the other side of the story too, that not everybody has the exact same experience every time. For sure. (laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned that you're expecting your second child now. Is there anything that you're aware of now that you wish you had known the first time around now that you are doing it a second time
2: almost no way I could have known this but just knowing that it's temporary I you know I'm not there yet so but I'm like really hoping that that perspective stays with me that like raising a baby and those first few weeks after you give birth I think I was just constantly being like did I make a mistake (laughs) you know Mm. is this what my life's going to be like now you know like oh like if I'm unhappy at one week postpartum, does that mean I'm going to be unhappy for the rest of my life because I shouldn't have had a baby? You know, it feels so high stakes. And now knowing I'm just going to, I hope, just going to keep reminding myself that having a newborn is not like having a kid, you know, having a baby even is nothing like having a child. I don't know. Still, I still feel like I'm kind of standing over a cliff wondering what my life's going to be like in two weeks. But knowing that you know, that I like being a mom, that I'm already a mom, that I love having a four-year-old, you know, (laughs) I'm hoping that will save me from going to the (laughs) darkness.
0: So one of the things I really loved about your book is how you went through in detail about your birth experience and the epidural and uh, the experience with the epidural and different things. And you talked a little bit about in the book how We still don't know a lot or as much as you would think we would about pregnancy and birth, considering that, you know, half the population, one of the most common experiences for many women, you know, is giving birth, but we still don't know as much about it as you would expect. And there's been a lot of buzz recently about um, endometriosis and different other things that, you know, usually afflict women coming out and about how people ignoring women's pain. Uh, so why do you feel that we still know so little about women and women's reproductive systems and different things, considering that it's, I mean, half the population, I mean, besides patriarchy, we're just going to assume this.
2: <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's my first answer. there's this book, Angela Garbs has a forthcoming book called Like a Mother, and it's all about pregnancy and like the science of pregnancy and we still don't really know if drinking coffee causes miscarriage or if it's like a correlation, you know, and Mm. I think somebody would just figure that out. But I mean, on one level, they don't know a lot of things because it's unethical to do studies on, you know, like give this one pregnant woman 10 cups of coffee and give this other one none. But, um, but also I think it's crazy that we can just be like, well, it's a mystery. Just don't do it. You know? eating sushi is probably fine, but we're just going to tell everybody not to eat sushi. And then they kind of scare you into like complying, you know, it's very it's oddly condescending. And, um, I think people are starting to notice that more and just not stand for it as much. And, um, yeah, I mean, as to why, I think partly just because people don't stand to make money off of it, you know, <laughs> and it's yeah. easier to, try to tell women what to do with their bodies instead of giving them information. But I really am hopeful that that's sort of changing.
0: I don't know. Yeah. There's, um, there's a book that came out that asked me about my uterus and it's about, yeah, I uh, saw that. Uh, about women with endometriosis. And as someone who has these things, yeah. I I've definitely related to that. And, you know, when you talked about your experience with your epidural, I was totally related to like how you were like, how, are they not addressing my pain? How are we not to the point where we can address this issue? Mm -hmm. And I don't know, there's just something that that image has stuck with me that, okay, you finally chose, okay, I'm going to do the epidural. And then they messed it up or it messed up itself up, whatever, (laughs) (laughs) whatever happened. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, it just made me think about women's pain and how it's often just minimized, like it's not taken seriously.
2: I think that moment that you're talking about in my birth story is, like after years of therapy and thinking and writing this book i think that's really the moment that like traumatized me was what i was saying like i'm in horrible pain and want to die and everyone's like it's normal you're doing great you know yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's partially people not trusting women or listening to them and, like, giving them authority over their bodies. It's just also maddening that you can't communicate. Like, I wish there was a way that people could just, like, see into my body and feel the pain, you know? And and I think we internalize it, too, as, like, oh, I don't want to be the weak one or I don't want to be whining or, you know? Yeah, the, I feel like you have to tell, like, I want to, like, tell my husband, you know, like, okay, if I say it like this, this is when I really mean it, it like... I don't know. It's it's so hard. And I think there's such a culture of like, just shut up and deal with it, you know, and that we internalize that and um, just makes it even more complicated.
1: Yeah, that's true. And you mentioned in your book about about your fiance at the time, now your husband, about his response to it and how he was after the fact. How did he grow during this whole process? Speaking of the patriarchy and like, how can we like counterbalance these the way society views pregnancy? Has his perspective changed on it?
2: Or have to ask him? But <laughs> probably. I mean, I think we had the, him and I had a conversation. You know, now that I'm having another baby, and I'm gonna, I was just like, why? Like, did you not know? You know, I mean, I don't know what he could have done, you know. Right. It's like, I just wanted to, I had no idea. It's so impossible to tell the different, you know, like, everyone just says you're supposed to be in pain. And I'm supposed to encourage you to, like, stay strong and, you know, cheer you on. And it's, yeah, I wish there was, like, a red flag you could raise or something. I don't know. It's I don't know about his, like, personal growth. But I know our relationship is a lot better and different after that, you know. Mm. Yeah, I think when we had the baby we had been together like four years you think you communicate I guess or I thought we did pretty well but once you don't have like a whole Sundays or evenings together where you're just like hanging out lying next to each other reading a book and then start kind of talking effortlessly you know and then all of a sudden that was just kind of gone and you have to like purposely sit and have a conversation even though you're just tired and want to go stare at your phone and I think it's just, it just became so easy to not actually be talking about anything or it was just everything felt so high stakes. And it's, it took us, you know, a year or two to be like, to figure it out, I think.
0: I really love that jump forward that you did in your book about figuring out, especially like your sex life after the baby and how like, is you felt like that feature of your life had been turned off and like, wondering is this gonna be my life forever you know um <laughs> and usually you know it, it was only temporary and i really appreciate that because i feel like they just don't talk about the need like how your sex drive changes after you have a baby at all and <laughs> how you know it's very different but it's it's you know you just had like this huge procedure or you just had gave birth you know you, you should be given some like time and they don't really talk about that
2: Yeah, but I think you're so, it's become such a joke, you know, it's like on TV sitcoms or whatever, like you have a baby and you're never going to have sex again, or, you know, Mm. so you're just so afraid to be that cliche, or I was, you know, some cliches are real for a reason, but also, yeah, it's it's, it's harder logistically, uh, but, you know, it's not, like everything else, I think, in the book, it was, what was so hard about it was not knowing if this was just how it was going to be from now on, you know, it won't be like that. (laughs) They're so <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so we've
1: talked a little bit about some nonfiction books that are coming out or are out about pregnancy and women's bodies and women's health. And even though like as we've been you know, been talking about like childbirth like <laughs> Everyone is born, right? <laughs> Most women have had babies. It's not seen much in literature in any realistic sort of sense. Do you have any ideas about why you think it is that writers avoid
2: accurate descriptions of childbirth? You know, I don't know. <laughs> I think about this a lot. I mean, I mean I've mean, i started to notice it more. Like, I'll see it in books and be like, oh, like Sylvia Plath's journals had a really had a couple of amazing childbirth scenes in them, but I know with my book, it was kind of hard. We were like, how does this fit in? Because it's such a climb. Like, a birth story to me is so inherently like the perfect story, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like plot wise. And, you know, there's like rising action. There's a climax when the baby is born and um, everything changes. And, you know, there's certain characters. And so, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It should be written about more, but maybe it's just so epic that. It would steal the show of a novel or something. I don't know. Well
1: now I'm thinking too, like, I feel like in Victorian times and those kinds of eras they
2: probably wouldn't have talked about it at all. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And that was like, you know, where the novel began, so
0: Right. Very, very true. So I remember I had a friend who gave birth and she was so dissatisfied with a lot of the stories that older women had told her about their birth experiences that she went and she actually wrote her entire birth story and posted it on Facebook. And it was very detailed. Like I knew my friend way better (laughs) after reading that story. But she said, I did this because I wanted a more accurate portrayal on social media, because this is, you know, ridiculous. We'll just say it that way. This is ridiculous. Yeah. So I loved your, your book, because it did that. And one of the questions I had also was, why do you think the topic of childbirth and early motherhood is often, I guess, not considered serious? Like we have the stereotype of the mommy blogger. And it's this idea that they're like the flippant, whatever, but real literature, you know, is about like, you know, the 70s and sex and drugs and all these things, but not motherhood, you know? I know. I mean, yeah, I think we're back to the patriarchy
2: again. (laughs) 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 But yeah, I mean, I had that too when I was, you know, when I first had the baby and was thinking about my writing and, you know, I just imagined that. And there was this sense of like, oh, okay, for every time I mention my baby on social media, I need to like write two other things that aren't about him. You know, you're just afraid to become a mom and that's it. I don't care about that anymore at all. <laughs> Cause I'm like, I made a human being. Like you guys can look at my baby on Instagram if you want to follow me. If I'm going to like look at your breakfast every day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even with this book coming out, it's like, it's, mentioned like with other mom books as like a subject rather than talking about as like a you know a
1: book you you know it's funny when you said that about feeling like you have to post two other things for everything you post about your baby um I felt the same way when I got married where it was like okay for every time I mentioned my husband I have to not mention him and three other posts it's fascinating like how society has programmed us to I don't know. I guess they try to
2: pigeonhole us, you know? Yeah, you feel apologetic about it or annoying or something. Um,
1: or, I like, really people
2: think. just view me as, like, just a wife or just a
0: yeah.
2: whatever. And then suddenly it's, like, this weird
0: shame. I don't know. You know, that's something I just- was that your book really made me think about is the interaction of our feminism with motherhood, because mm-hmm. women can't really win, you know, <laughs> for example, if they work after they give birth then they don't love their children, obviously. Um, <laughs> but if they stay at home with their children, then they are ignoring the efforts of women who have gone before them, you know, right. uh, bygone and bygone. How did your feminism interact with your experience as a, as a mom?
2: Wow. Um Yeah. I mean, I was a feminist before I had a baby and for a long time and a women's studies major and all this stuff. Um, But, yeah, when I had the baby, it was this weird, like undeniable revelation of just like, oh, (laughs) this is like the root of so much. You know, I had to give birth. I had to carry the baby. I have to breastfeed the baby. You know, I can't work when I want to. It, It just felt... You know, and I had a s- crazy supportive partner who was, like, better at all of this than I was. But still, it came- I felt the burden of it on me, you know. it It was just kind of like this biological wake-up call. But since then, I've sort of realized that, like, after part of having a baby was real, like, the difference between, like, what I was supposed to want versus what I really wanted. And not every choice you make has to be, like, feminist choice. You know, like, if you want to stay home with your baby... Instead of working, like that's fine. And I became more of a feminist, but I became, you know, there was less pressure to like define or to prove myself as a feminist, like with every choice I made, I guess.
0: Mm.
2: That makes sense.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Autumn and I have been talking about this because we recently discussed A Wrinkle in Time on the podcast and Meg he was a protagonist. She eventually grows up and stays at home with her kids, but is also a lab tech for her husband. And a lot of people were upset at Madeline Langle because she didn't make the quote unquote feminist choice. But Madeline Langle was like, well, that's what feminism is, is giving women a choice yeah, and what they want to do and what's best for their families.
2: You feel so much like internalized pressure and self, like when you have to make all these choices and you realize like it just comes down to knowing yourself and your own values and your own feminist values and your desire and all the ways those are like tied up with societal and structural stuff. And you just realize like what a mess it all is (laughs) and Mm. how hard it is to like realize what and find, figure out what's best for you and your family and, and that it would all be, you know, none of these choices are pure choices if, you know, if we had free daycare and family leave and, you know, it's all inflected by like society.
1: Well, we're glad you threw your voice into the ring. Um just to give a rounded view of what it's like.
0: Yeah, I feel like this is definitely a beautiful I don't want to use millennial because people tend to think those are like teenage punks, but actually we're all in our late twenties and early thirties now. <laughs> um but I love this you wrote sort of like this generation's perspective on birth and motherhood. And it's very much more realistic than I guess the original edition of what to expect when you're expecting. <laughs> so thank you so thank much you. for writing it. I greatly appreciate it. I'm going to share it with all of my, my friends now. And um, if they say, I don't know what I'm talking about, I'm just going to say, well, I've read this. So, <laughs> so that is all the time that we have for the questions about the book. But before we go, we did want to ask you a couple questions to wrap it up. So you are a writer and you're a freelance writer and you wrote books and all of these different things. So obviously you love books and you read books. So what are some of your favorite female authors that you have admired um, in your writing and reading career, I should say?
2: I guess the writers that I read when I'm worried, you know, when I just need to like come back to my brain or Rachel Cuss, Grace Paley, um, Maggie Nelson, Nora Ephron, Sheila Hetty lately. I loved her book, Motherhood. Those are some of our favorites too. I
1: actually only recently read Nora Ephron for the first time, and I went, "Why did I wait so long to read her?"
0: <laughs> yeah, I I love her so much. We were we were taking. Um, shots for the podcast and I actually started reading while the photographer was supposed to be taking my photo with the book and actually started laughing in the middle of like reading because it doesn't matter yeah it doesn't matter where you start yeah
2: (laughs) Yeah. she's so confident I think that helps me when I'm like feeling not confident you know
1: yeah she's so good and then you mentioned at the beginning that you were um open to writing another book but I know you're probably not there yet, but is there anything you're working on right now that you would like to share with our listeners? And if you don't, that's fine. We understand people don't like to jinx their pro- projects.
2: So. Uh, well, you know, I started writing a novel, and I'm, I have no idea <laughs> if I'm going to finish it, but I hope I do. But it's, it has nothing to do with babies or motherhood, so I can say that. <laughs> <laughs> like, about my early 20s, so very different. <laughs> cool.
1: Well, good luck with that. So thank you so much for talking to us today. We loved your book. We really are delighted we got to talk to you.
2: Thanks for having me. It was fun.
0: So it was great to talk to Megan about her book. And now we have everything, A Motherhood Before I Was Ready. And I just really appreciated how she gave millennial women a voice in the whole birthing conversation. And I'm going to be giving this book to everyone now.
1: It really is an amazing story. And I appreciate, too, that what she was saying about how these phases that seem like they're never ending when you're in the middle of them are just temporary and they are just seasons. And that's just really refreshing to hear too.
0: I definitely feel like her story is something that we need to hear more of. And maybe it will encourage other mothers to talk more openly about their own birth stories.
1: And I admire too, that even though she didn't have a best first experience, she's doing it again. So best wishes to Megan as she delivers another baby very soon and that's our show so again we would like to thank megan o'connell for talking to us about and now we have everything on motherhood before i was ready and that is out now from little brown and you can find her on twitter at megan o and at her website MeganO.com. we will also have links to her website and her book in our show notes And thank you all for listening to Reading Women. You can find us on social media at The Reading Women. You can find Kendra at KD Winchester and me at Autumn Privet. Talk to you all soon. Bye, guys.